0: It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years. Because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Hey everyone, it's Debbie Reber from the Tilt Parenting Podcast. So it's Monday, March 16th, and I'm jumping in with this special episode that I wanted to get out right away. Tomorrow, Tuesday, I'll be releasing my regular episode. It's actually the 200th episode of this show, and that is going to be about body image issues and disordered eating in atypical kids. But I participated in an important webinar last night all about parenting in the age of coronavirus, and I wanted to share this with you. The webinar got put out pretty quickly. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I was on a call with Julie Lithcott-Hames. She's the author of How to Raise an Adult and Katherine Reynolds Lewis, the author of The Good News About Bad Behavior. And Julie brought up the idea of pulling together some brilliant experts and doing a live webinar to help families struggling with their tweens, their teens, or their college students who feel as if social distancing, the new buzzword for right now, that that equals social doom. So literally five hours after that call, we were live doing a webinar with Dr. Kara Natterson. She's a pediatrician and the author of many books, including the Care and Keeping of You series by American Girl, psychotherapist Lori Gottlieb. She's the author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, and Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, many of you know her as the co-author of a lot of books that we hold near and dear in this community, like The Whole Brain Child, The Yes Brain, and The Power of Showing Up, which she co-wrote with Dr. Dan Siegel. So Julie, Catherine, Cara, Lori, and Tina shared a lot of very current, very relevant insights about how we can and should keep our families safe How to actually do social distancing with kids, especially older teens who may feel invincible, and so much more. It was a very candid, real conversation, and I got so much out of it. So, what you're about to hear is the audio file from that webinar. The quality of this is not as clean as a typical podcast episode because everyone was doing this call from their respective homes, but the content is critical. So, We may do this again in the next week or two, depending on what's happening in the world. So I will keep you posted. Stay tuned on that. For now, I hope you find this useful and that it helps you feel like you're less alone in going through what you're going through.
1: Okay, folks, we're here. Sorry. Thank you for bearing with us as we got our act together. This is um, Parenting in the Time of Coronavirus, I'm Julie Lithcott Hames, and I'm a mom in Palo Alto, California, in Silicon Valley. And um, yesterday, my 18-year-old and I and my husband had a really difficult conversation about who she could and could not see. She's a bewildered kid, home from college, wants to see the friends that are trickling back home. And my husband and I were struggling with, what's the right response here? How to be a good parent, how to pay attention to what's happening in terms of the public health requirements, Um, wanting to soothe our child's frustrations, but also wanting to be the parents that towed their line. Um, I was on a conversation with a dear friend who said to me, Julie, let me tell you the science. The science says your kids shouldn't be leaving the house. And I was like, okay. And he made it sound so easy. He has four kids. I only have one who's home. And then, you know what? His three. Older kids came home later that night, and he was—he texted me. He's like, oh, my God, it's so much harder than I thought. And I was like, yes, it is. And what was happening in my personal life made me want to reach out on social media to those of you who are also struggling as a parent in the era of coronavirus with how do we practice social distancing, whether we've got little ones, whether we've got tweens, teens, or college students who are coming back home We need guidance. I need guidance. I may be the author of a parenting book, but right now I'm a parent who's struggling and we're all struggling, let's face it. Um, So I reached out to people I admire to try to put together this webinar for the many, many thousands of people who are struggling with the same questions I've been struggling with. Um, um, I'm seeing we're having some technical difficulties should I just keep going?
2: Keep going. It's working. Okay.
1: Okay. I'm going to keep going. Okay. Um, I reached out to people I admire. They all happen to be women, which is fantastic. And I'm going to introduce who they are and then kind of give you the parameters for this webinar and then going to start posing some questions to them. So um, in no particular order, order, they are the amazing Dr. Cara Natterson. She's a pediatrician, a mom and the author of the care and keeping of you series and guy stuff. And her most recent book is decoding boys. And she should be like waving her hand right now so people can see her. Mm -hmm. Um, We have Dr. Lori Gottlieb. She's a psychotherapist author of the New York times bestselling uh, number one book. Maybe you should talk to someone. So we've got a pediatrician and we've got a psychotherapist because this is about, Physical health and it's about mental health and it's all intertwined. I'm delighted we and so Lori wave your hands Let people see Lori Gottlieb. Hello. We have dr. Payne Dr. Tina Payne Bryson a psychotherapist and co-author with Dan Siegel of the whole brain child No drama discipline the yes brain the power of showing up wave at the good people Tina We've got Katherine Reynolds Lewis A journalist, certified parent educator, author of The Good News About Bad Behavior.
3: Hi. So glad to be
2: here. And we
1: have our awesome producer, another parenting expert, but also an expert on kind of using the internet to get words and images out to people, uh, Debbie Reber, uh, author of Differently Wired and producer of her own podcast, Tilt Parenting, about parenting differently wired kids. So ladies, women, experts, thank you so much for putting everything down to join this conversation today. I am full of gratitude to you. I expect to learn a ton from you, and I know our listeners and watchers will as well. All right. Um, uh, Why don't I give each one of you 30 seconds to say something briefly? Then um, uh, what we'll do is I'll turn to some specific questions that I have, and then after about 40 minutes, we'll turn to questions from our listeners that are coming in. So if you listeners have a question, type it into the chat on Zoom. If you're following on our live Facebook stream on the How to Raise an Adult page, uh, go ahead and put your comments, your questions in comments. Our producer, Debbie Reber, is going to be pulling up the questions and I will ask her what the questions are. That's how we're going to handle this. Um, So before we turn to my official questions, let me just, let's go in the order that I introduced you, Cara, Lori, Tina, Kaki, and um, to uh, just share your 30 seconds kind of overview on where you are right now.
4: All right, uh, I'll start. So um, we are in uncharted waters. That said, uh, in in the world of medicine and science, uh, we know a lot about how viruses behave and uh, what happens in terms of patterns of viral spread after viruses mutate. So there are a lot of people in the world with a lot of really great information. And I feel that it is my job both in this setting and frankly right now in life full time to help translate that science into uh, practical parenting tips. Um, and we will get into the science a bunch, but The bottom line advice I have, and I'm not going to veer from it, is as parents, it is our job to keep our kids safe and healthy, full stop. And it does not matter if our kids are not going to get as sick from this virus as we are or as our parents are. We have a social responsibility. This is a social justice issue as much as it is a biological issue. And so I will hopefully be able to answer your question from a medical standpoint to explain why just saying no to your kids and keeping them home and giving them all the educational tools they need in order to figure out how to take that advice is the way forward. And if we don't choose to do it now, uh, we are going to be told to do it in the next few days. As well.
1: Thank you, Cara. Lori.
5: So I agree with all of that. And I want to say that as a parent and a therapist, one of the things that I talk to my patients a lot about is this concept of both and, which is, yes, there's this, frightening thing happening out in the world. And what our kids are always complaining about and what we are always complaining about is we don't have time. Can we do this? No, we don't have time. Can we spend some time together? No, we don't have time. Can we bake brownies? Sorry, we don't have time. And one of the things that I think is the the and, with the both and, is teaching our kids about how we can hold both things at the same time. We can hold whatever anxieties we have about what's going on And we can actually enjoy something. It doesn't mean that you aren't concerned about what's happening if you are also using this time for a good mental health break. And we can talk more specifically about what that mental health break looks like, because there's a difference between like sitting in front of the screen all the time and actually having a mental health break. And I think the other thing I just want to say is that we as parents are modeling for our kids um, how to respond and i would love to talk a little more specifically about what we can do to be good models for them. Thank I'm you, so Lori.
6: I'm so Tina. honored to join I'm just so honored to join all these great brains as we wrestle with this. I'm a mom to boys who are 13, 16 and just turned 20 and he's on his way back to move home from college in another state. All of my best friends, all their kids are moving back home and then they're they're in their 20s. Everything is chaotic right now. And this is absolutely the essence of parenting, which is things are unpredictable, they change. Just when we think we have it figured out, our kids show us, no, there's no such thing as having it figured out or being in control. And while there are so many things that are constantly evolving and changing so much day to day, there are a lot of things we know about what our kids need from us. And so we can talk about those things that can really be our north star in guiding us as we're figuring this out. And I just, I really kind of as an overall point, want to say that we have to remember that it's not our job to make sure our kids are happy all the time. What helps them do well and feel good and and thrive is to feel safe and seen and soothed and secure, the four S's um, that that I talk about a lot. Um, And really that we still know that high structure and high warmth go together well and that that it's really tricky, particularly with our college-aged kids, who we are also wanting to promote autonomy and helping them be problem solvers. But we may have to come in with a little bit more structure than we have even up till this point for, as Cara said, the good of the world. This is, is an absolutely a social justice issue. And the impact of this is, has huge disparity in terms of the most vulnerable populations in our society. I'm a, so- I'm a trained social worker, and I think about that. And it's also a great opportunity, as Laurie said, to be creative, to slow life down, and to teach our kids about thinking about other people and being responsible
1: on a global level. Awesome. Thank you. Kaki?
2: So everything that was said before, I just also want to thank Julie and Debbie for convening this conversation so quickly today when we had the idea. And just to reiterate that I often say to parents, and I've said it for you know, several years now. If it feels like it's harder to parent now, it's because it is, and that was true before January. But it's even more true now that this is really when you are being tested as parents—not just making decisions for our family in a time that's really turbulent and scary, managing our own anxiety, our own fears, while also modeling for our kids. But then setting those limits, and and it's not easy. And I think every couple hours I've been getting texts or Facebook messages from friends asking about, is this okay? Is that okay? And those are the kind of day-to-day, hour-to-hour negotiations that we can have as adults, but we need to be able to show our children a firm line. And yes, it's hard. And yes, it's really difficult when your friends are on social media doing something different. But this is what we're doing as a family. And it's not just our responsibility, as everyone said so eloquently, to the world and our community, but even to each other. Because if I leave the home and I go stop by Taco Bell after a run and I get some COVID-19 from a cashier who is one of the highest risk groups of people to get it, then I can bring it home to my kids, my husband and my parents who live downstairs. And that's something that I think really resonates with the children is that responsibility to the people closest to them, as well as of course, what we wanna instill in terms of social interest and a broader responsibility.
1: So thank you everybody for weighing in. Um, Let me ask, we're getting some uh, comments asking if you're not the speaker, please mute your microphone. So let's just each one of us practice that um, if we can. Lori, right now, you're not on mute. Um, if you could do that, that'd be awesome. Okay. Um, so let's turn to, um, to let's dive in. So we've all been hearing, we got to flatten the curve. And I'm going to turn to our uh, pediatrician author mom who's here, Dr. Cara Natterson, for, uh, you know, not a deep dive, but kind of a, a very informative um Uh, introduction to what does flatten the curve mean in the context of parenting? What do we need to be doing with our children uh, to make sure that we are doing our part to flatten the curve? And um, uh, you know, what should we be? What does that mean? Given our kids are various ages? Thank you. Sure.
4: So let me start by throwing out a few wonderful resources to get yourselves up to speed on what this virus is, how it spreads and all that. Because I, I won't cover that here, uh, but the, the favorite resources of all the medical people I know are STAT News, S-T-A-T News. There's a woman named Helen Branswell who writes an article every single day, sometimes more than one. It's wonderful. The Wall Street Journal has a daily coronavirus uh, a um, sort of tally and then deep dive articles that are excellent. The New York Times resources are excellent. And Axios has done an amazing job. So in terms of news that is written for the layperson to understand a little bit more about the virology behind all this. Those are four sources I can pass along more Julie after this uh, webinar. Okay, so flattening the curve. So when a new infection enters a community and there is person-to-person spread, and I'm gonna put a pin in that for a second and talk about person-to-person spread, Um, I'll talk about that over here for a second, but when a new virus or bacteria enters a community and is spread person to person, what happens is there is always an exponential increase in the number of infections. And that's because if two people can spread an infection, so one person who has the infection can spread it to the person who doesn't have the infection, and then that second person can leave and you've got person one who's got the infection and person two who's now got the infection both of those people can go on. Remember Wella Balsam? She told two friends and she told two friends and so on and so on. It's an exponential curve. Each person multiplies the spread of the infection to the point where we start seeing a rise that initially looks kind of flat and then steepens very, very quickly. So all of the imagery that you're seeing going around this flatten the curve campaign, the idea is how can a person who has the infection give the infection to fewer people, okay? Uh, that's called the R number. And there are a lot of wonderful articles about what that that uh, that factor is, that number of multiples that each person who has an infection will pass along. Okay, so the problem with coronavirus, there are two issues. The first is some massive number of people who have coronavirus or will get coronavirus don't have symptoms. Or they have symptoms, but the symptoms are extremely mild. So this group of people, meaning well, are following all of the guidelines to not go out if they're sick, but they're not sick. So they're thinking, I'm okay. Everyone's telling me if you have symptoms, if you have shortness of breath, a dry cough, a fever, maybe a slight runny nose, the big four, then I should stay home. Well, sometimes it's five days before you have those symptoms between when you've got the infection and you manifest those symptoms. So unbeknownst to the person who's walking around with coronavirus, they don't know they're infecting other people. Up to 80% of all people infected with coronavirus will have few or no symptoms. So just telling people who are sick to stay home is not enough, right? Because if you start looking at exponential growth, it's a problem. Our other huge issue with coronavirus is lack of testing. And this has been covered in the last 48 hours tremendously. And I think I encourage every viewer here to go start learning about the problems around testing. But we don't know who is infected. We have no idea how many people in any given city, state, or this entire country are infected. And if you look at the way that different countries around the world have started to diagnose coronavirus, what they did every single one, except for the U.S., is they said to commercial manufacturers of tests, go find a test and let's scale up these tests and let's figure out who's infected. Because if we can figure out who's infected, then people can know to stay home. Because we're about to give advice on this webinar that every single parent should keep not just their children, but everyone they know in social distance, socially distant, right? We're telling everyone stay away from one another. We also know that is very hard advice to follow. So if there were a test and we could diagnose everyone who had it, at least then we would know who we have to be aggressive about and who we have to say you're in quarantine for 14 days. I still think social distancing is a better path because we don't need to test anyone in order for social distancing to work, but we need to up uh, upregulate our test production. In this country, as opposed to every other country across the world, only our government has been able to manufacture tests for the past several weeks, and there have been major flaws in that manufacturing. Now, just in the last week, hospital laboratories and commercial manufacturers are starting to get online, but we have only had testing capability in the last several days. And so uh, if you listen to Anthony Fauci, who is really a phenomenal advocate for uh, what we need to do with our testing kits uh, tune into anything he has said today and the message is very consistent which is we need to fix this problem until we fix this problem you need to stay home
1: okay so let's dive into you need to stay home because uh, we all want to know what that means for families uh, what what does home mean you know I have a college kid who's got an amazing boyfriend you know is home his house or our house I mean are we if you're if you're five, if you're 15, if you're 25, if you're 52, like me, you know, how do we define what staying home means, um, for our children?
4: Okay. So, um, look, we as Americans, we are very good at uh, making definitions work for us. Okay. Um, we consider that our civil liberty, <laughs> um, wrathfully or wrongfully. So, um, I have a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old. I'm I'm up against it just like everyone else. I just don't have kids who are living out of the city or out of state, um, and I, that's an added level that we'll I'm sure get to. Staying home technically means if you really want to stop the spread, like if everyone wants to do their part and everyone wants to stop the spread, it means everyone. Socially, I keep calling it socially isolating, and everyone's like, No, it's social distancing. I actually think it's socially isolating. It's just we have all these wonderful tools like this where we can socialize with one another. So we're just physically separating ourselves. But if I allow my kids, and I did this in the beginning of the week, I was like, Kids, you can each have one friend over because that felt safe to me. And everyone, that was the advice. And everyone's like, No, that's such a good idea. I looked at my den, I had two, my, two of my own children and two other children, and I went, what am I doing? What am I doing that all of the germs that come along with every normal kid coming to hang out at my house just walked in my door and probably either coronavirus is in my house and they're about to take it home or coronavirus is in their house and they're about to deposit it here. So if you really wanna do it, and if you've got young kids and you can do it, do it. Like, just do it. Hang out at home. No one comes in, not a nanny, not a housekeeper, not someone to facilitate a sports class or this, right? Your house just gets cordoned off. Now, I will say, if you want to have some social interaction and you're not in a home We know that biologically it's better, right? Because if someone coughs or sneezes and the virus lands on the grass that you're playing on instead of the table that I'm going to rub my hands on, we're doing better because the communication of the virus is much less likely. So for parents who really can't follow the advice, get out of doors when you meet up with people and have the kids stay socially distanced. So have them stay six feet apart. That means they can play Uh, soccer and just kick the ball and not touch the ball with their hands. They can go for a walk. They can go for a hike. I mean, I've got lists in my house of the things that you can do. Bike rides, right? Things where you're not touching one another. 14-year-old boys touch one another constantly. So we had to make a list in my house. But if you really want to do this, you say, no, I'm just going to end with the older group because the number of phone calls I've gotten from parents of older teenagers and 20-somethings who are just not going to have it. The parents are so frustrated. And all I can tell you is I've never met a kid, and I don't care how old they are, who doesn't want to be educated and informed. And when they are educated and informed, and they understand the role they are playing in stopping an epidemic, they participate. They do it. I'm a pediatrician. All these other kids listen to me. My kids, eh, not so much, right? But if I hand them an article and they read it and they understand the role they're playing, it's not me anymore. It's me telling them, hey, this is a really good resource. Now you can understand why I'm trying to do this, why I'm begging you. The the one caveat are the boyfriend-girlfriend situations. I've actually read a lot about this in the last 24 hours. Uh, for all intents and purposes, when kids have been together in a very close relationship, whether they're away at school coming home together, or whether they've been here locally, uh, they they are sharing germs. They are. I mean, I have said to parents at a certain point, I would consider them one unit. I would consider them one person, and. So for those families, I've been saying, let the kids be together because they've been together the last several weeks. And this is, the coronavirus is not new today, guys. The coronavirus has been around in this country for a minimum of six weeks, probably more like eight weeks. And so to that end, I would say, try to cluster your homes so that if there's a relationship happening between two homes, those two homes are sort of in mutual isolation together because, We also know normal teenage development and love and lust and all those things. And this adds an element of complexity. Is that helpful?
1: It is. I've heard it referred to as the germ circle. Like you have to decide what your germ circle is. Is it, you know, your immediate family only or is it, you know, if you've got, you know, hypothetically like I do, yeah, an 18-year-old who's very tight with somebody else, are we effectively a germ circle with their family? And I think I would need to talk to that family and say, this is what we're doing. This is what our isolation looks like. What are you doing? Because the minute any of us breaks from the seven of us out, you know, then then we're just, we're not social isolating. Let me do this. Um, I want to get specifics from you. Everyone wants to hear specifics, but I just want to give um, uh, Lori an opportunity to tell us from a psychologist's perspective, what this is doing, um, and how we can manage it, what it's doing to us as parents and what it's doing to our kids.
5: Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, I mean, I think that we, the word isolation is a little bit, technically we're not actually isolating. We have so many ways that we like right now, all of us are talking and we're FaceTiming, right? So we're not isolated. We're actually connecting. So I think that that word is something that is really, um, You know, it's very important to define that to make sure that we understand that, you know, exactly what we're saying that we are not interacting physically (laughs) with other people, um, that our homes are their own little places right now, of, you know, whatever is is shared in the home is shared by the people who who live in the home, um, and that we aren't going out. We aren't going out and and bringing in whatever we're bringing in. Um, But I think that one of the things that happens is when we experience something extraordinary like this, we long for the ordinary, right? Like we, 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 we don't realize, you know, that we just want things to go back to normal. We want the ordinary. And so what I think it's really important to do, I have a 14 year old who, you know, like like all of, you know, everybody else's kids want, and a boy wants to be outside, wants to be with his friends, um, is a bum to be home from school, doing remote learning, all of that. And yet at the same time, there have been these other, these other sort of, um, I would say silver linings that, that I think our family has appreciated. And, and one of them is having the ordinary right in front of us. And so the ordinary is, um, you know, we actually, when we are reaching out to our friends on FaceTime, for example, we're being really intentional. We're actually having conversations um, that maybe we don't when we're rushing through our days. Um, we're, we have leisure time now to kind of, um, you know, just hang out as a family. What does that mean? You know all the little conversations that come up when you're just hanging out. Um, I think also it's important that as parents that we are are showing them that we are the leaders. That we are showing leadership, um, and leadership means that we're we're you know we we're very compassionate. We understand how hard this is, but we're also holding our boundaries. So it's not like, yeah, well, okay, this time you can go do this. Um, You know, once you say this, you sit down with them and you say, this is what it looks like. And here are the good things that are going to come out of this in terms of what you're going to enjoy about it. And here are the things that might be challenging, but these are the limits. And it's a little bit like, you know, I, I think that when we bring our um, our calm leadership to the situation, it goes a lot more smoothly. A lot of parents naturally are anxious. And it's almost like when you're on an airplane, they always say, put your oxygen mask on before your kids. But it's not just that. It's also, what is the pilot doing in the airplane, right? And the pilot isn't like, oh my God, we've hurt, hit turbulence. You know, the pilot is not freaking out. If we are freaking out and they're hearing us freaking out, maybe even, you know, they're overhearing our conversations. Um, that is not helpful to them. So I think that it's really important that, you know, the pilot says, here are the rules right now. We are going to go over some turbulence. Everybody's seatbelts are going to be on. Nobody's going to leave their seats. And thank you very much. And it's very clear. It's not hysterical. Um, and that keeps everybody, everybody's very happy then to keep their seatbelts on. Everybody's very happy to just sit in their seat. Um, the hysteria makes it harder to follow the rules. Um, so I think that's, that's part of it. And I think psychologically, yes, being, being, uh, not having social connections is hard, but I think that we are so fortunate to live in a time when A, they can have social interactions anytime they want through their phones. Um, and B, um, all of a sudden they're, they're, they're getting the, the, the kind of beautiful benefit of boredom, which is that, Um, oh, these art supplies in my closet that I haven't seen in a year. Look at that. Or, oh, look, we have a, we have a keyboard in the house. I didn't realize that, you know, I've been too busy with other things or, um, oh, we're just, you know, it's like, there's that time to think where they can hear themselves differently. So I think once they, if you engage in them in conversations where they're going, I'm so bored and you're. You're going back and forth with them. That's not helpful. Let them just be bored and don't in, keep engaging in that conversation about how bored they are. Leave them to be bored. And you will be so surprised in the creative things that they come up with to alleviate their boredom.
1: Thank you for that, Lori. Um, I just on the way to coming downstairs to do this webinar, this Zoom thing, I passed my husband and daughter in our family room, both playing the guitar. And I just got this, I took a picture because that's what we do these days, right? I was like, oh, I got to capture this amazing image. And it was a perfect example of all the things we can do, all the ways in which we can find our way out of boredom and um, you know, find our way into activity and into togetherness with the people with whom we're isolating. Um, when we pause and think clearly for a moment or two, we discover what's hiding, the art supplies that are hiding in the closet. But you know, I've also heard teenagers in particular saying things like, I need my friends for my mental health. I know myself, this is what I've heard teenagers lately saying, I know myself, you know, I'm back from school. I do not have my college friends. Like my whole college experience has been disrupted, you know, no matter how virtual the classes are, this is not college. And I know for my own mental health, and they're using this language, I need to be with my friends. I'm not going to be okay if I come back home and can't even interact with my high school community. What would you say to 18 to 22 year olds who are expressing, who are literally naming their own mental health need. How would you mm-hmm. respond to that in the context of this virus?
5: I would say, first of all, I believe in you and I believe that you're resilient. And I believe that you are going to find creative ways to get those needs met through technology right now. And, um, and that you, i know that you're resilient and and you're going to get through this. And the other thing is i would also frame it in the sense of purpose that i think that when we are feeling you know emotionally fragile we need a sense of purpose. And one sense of purpose is it's not just me that that i'm protecting here it is i am doing something for the good of my community. I am doing something for the good of the world. And especially young people are really energized by that they might not like it it might not be their first choice but i think that when they feel that they're doing good in the world when they feel like they have a purpose and they're like yeah the reason that i'm going to be facetiming with my friends or that i'm going to be playing online games with my friends or whatever however they're going to be or i'm going to be making playlists for my friends a lot of kids are doing that they're making playlists for each other um, they're making lists of TV shows that they want to kind of all watch at the same time together and they're discussing them. Um, you know, they're getting really creative. And so they're able to have connection. They're able to talk about like, yeah, this sucks and they can have their pity party together. That's fine, you know? But also they can talk about other things and they can laugh and they can do all those things. Um, and they know that they're doing it because they're they're doing it for the world. And it's surprising how important that is—that sense of purpose to one's mental health. When you feel like I am doing something, and there's a reason, and it has meaning, and I'm helping thousands of people by making this relatively small sacrifice,
1: um, I think that puts things in perspective for them. Thank you for that. Um, you know, here, let's say hypothetically, we're we're all—I think we are—not hypothetically, actually, a set of parents that are doing our darndest to practice this in our own homes, but we're also hearing about other parents who are less strict. Uh, I got called out on that last night. There were a lot of tears. It was like, Oh my gosh, this is so unfair. None of my friends' parents are saying this. What would you recommend? And now I want to turn to, um, uh, Tina and khaki, uh, and anyone else can chime in too, but let's go to you first. What can we do, um, Uh, to kind of help get, bring other parents on board. I realize it's always been that case with parenting. Well, just, you know, if someone else said jump off a cliff, would you, right? I mean, it's about our rules in our house, but, um, this notion that other parents are not kind of following suit is rather infuriating. What's your advice on how we can handle that?
2: Tina, do you want to take that? or <clears throat> So um, So, I would say, first of all, to understand and be compassionate to, that everyone is on their journey. And as Kara was saying, on Wednesday, I was letting my kids do things that I was not letting them do on Friday. So it's something that we always say in our family and I advise parents to say is, this is what our families decided works for us, right? And you don't know what's going to happen in three days. Maybe that family will have caught up on their reading and realize how dangerous it is to let their kids go out. And um, and I've shared with my kids some of the horror stories that I've heard about a play date leading to an entire family being infected. And the, that's the kind of thing that none of our children want to happen to those friends that they love so much, right? And the other thing I would say is, is it's also helpful for us as parents to be um, proactive in anticipating that these conversations are hard now for us, it's day three, right? on day seven or day fourteen, uh, it's going to be harder. So we need to also just strengthen our own backbone and be prepared to have the conversation again or to say we discussed this on sunday i I know it's hard. um and i and I, I even was using the analogy with a friend earlier that talking to kids, if you decide to have that germ circle with one best friend, you have to talk about what everyone else that they're being exposed to is doing. It's almost like a preview of what you want to have a conversation with your sex partners, right? So it's sort of a, a chance for our kids to practice really being responsible and about their health and, and their public health. You know, for some of us who have younger kids, it's in the future. But it's also another way for us as parents to look at this through a lens of, this isn't just a hard conversation that I wish I didn't have to have. But hey, maybe this is an opportunity for, for us to think help our children think more mindfully and be proactive and responsible. Um, and I'd love to hear what Tina has to say as well.
6: Well, I just think I love all that. And I think the main thing is, you know, back to one of the ways I always think about, you tell your kids, here's the limit, they don't like it. Um, you say, this is what we're doing. You know, my kids always complain about how they have to go to bed earlier than everyone they know, which in fact, as you talk to other parents is always necessarily true. Um, but I think, you know, what we typically do as parents is we start arguing back or defending our position. And it's so much more effective to instead really connect with our child in that moment, really listen and validate how frustrated they feel to say, does this feel really unfair? These other families aren't doing that. And you feel like you're left out. Is that what's going on? And you really kind of lean into what their internal experience is first. So first we start with that connection piece. Um, and then I think it's an opportunity, you know, back to, you know, Julie, you were talking about then claiming the... I need this for my mental health. Um, And I know you and I are on the same page as this, um, is that, you know, regardless of the age of our kids, I think one of the big things that we should always be doing, coronavirus or not, is that when challenges come up, when they're complaining about something in their life not working or that they don't like, that our response shouldn't be to automatically fix it or convince them or tell them they're, you know, they're being too reactive and you know you're being selfish, all of those things, they don't work. What's so much better and using an opportunity to build that prefrontal cortex is to say, okay, you're saying you need connection. You're saying it's unfair that other people are meeting. What's your plan? How are you going to, you know, how can I support you in coming up with a plan? Um, And really asking them, you know, and people are coming up with those great schedules that are being posted. And then I love the funny ones where they're like, what it really is going to look like. (laughs) They're like Cheetos for dinner. And it's, there's some really funny stuff out there. Have, you know, this is a time where a lot of kids are going to want to be on their devices more, and a lot of parents are going to be fine with that, and and every family has to figure that out. This is also a time to sit down with your kids and say, things are going to be different this week. We're going to take it on a week-to-week basis. What do you think an appropriate amount of time is, and how are you going to connect with your friends, and how are you going to work that connected time with screen time into your other screen time? What's your plan? And you're having these reflective conversations with them. I think a huge piece of this is that what our kids are going to remember down the road has a lot to do with how we have um, really how we're handling it and the kinds of models we are, including how we talk about this. So for instance, like I've had a lot of people use this language and I have too, but the idea of like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I'm going to be stuck at home with my kids for weeks. I'm going to go crazy. Our kids are hearing that. And, you know, I think the way we're languaging this is really important in terms of the messages we're giving. If we are excited and frustrated and we're, we're honest and authentic about those experiences, and then we model problem solving and doing that whole idea of name entertainment, like, oh, this is really frustrating. You know, I, how am I going to get my exercise in when I can't go to my favorite exercise class? Gosh, even almost externalize, that problem solving. And I think that, um, you know, one of the things that just is a really practical thing. One of the things that my husband and I used to do with friends a a while ago was we had like a salon. So it was like every Sunday night, we had a group of people came over and we took turns presenting on some topic. Um, Mine was usually some sort of nerdy science, but someone did like baseball scandals and someone did, you know, all kinds of different things. Do a salon with your kids. And I, I think one of the things I've asked my boys is, well, I want you to come up with two things that you're curious about that you have that you want to learn about. And you learn about it. And then on Sunday night, you're going to teach it to the rest of us. And we even talked about the my husband and uh, and myself and our two younger boys, none of us know how to play bridge. We're like, let's watch some YouTube videos and learn how to play bridge together. And so using it as an opportunity. But I think back to what where I first started, I just want to emphasize one more time is that when our kids are like, pissed when they're mad when they're mad about the limits we're setting when they're frustrated when they're feeling left out instead of arguing convincing start with saying that that feels awful doesn't it and just really pouring out empathy what they really need most from you is you and um to really show up for them in those moments to to feel with them before you move to problem solving
4: Julie can I jump in and add okay this is I just gotta say, this is like a treasure trove, what is being put out here. And, um, there's, it's like an all star team that I feel very lucky to be, um, in the presence of. Uh, just really quickly to jump on to Tina. Um, I think one other way of helping to achieve that goal um, with making your kids feel that love from you and um, feel your role as their parent is to explain why. So in medicine, we always tell parents, you can't just tell a kid what they have to do or what medicine they have to take. You have to explain why. If an asthmatic needs an inhaler and you don't explain what the inhaler is doing for the lungs, the kids aren't motivated to use the inhaler. So this is a perfect example of a time where we can say why. So that's one little note I wrote to myself. Another is Lori's comment about the word isolation is so 100% right on. And I catch myself, it comes out of my mouth and I want to reel it back in because we're isolating, but we're not isolating. So that's where this word distancing came from. Um, and maybe we should all come up with, as a society, come up with a better way of describing it because we're not at all isolated. Laura, you're a thousand percent right. There are so many ways for people to connect. And I think for sure we as parents are all going to shift and change our screen rules for the time being. There's, I think there's no room for judgment there. Like, Let's pick our battles. The best battle to pick is keeping our kids away from other large groups of adults or other kids, keeping ourselves away from other large groups. So you do you and figure out what works for you in screen time. I will say um, because the the we see so many emotional and physical impacts that goes along with prolonged screen time. Um, what I've done in my house, we'll see if it works. Um, but for several months now, my kids have been, I used to set the screen limits on their devices and. And, um, they're totally in charge now, um, to the point where, um, I just say to them, let's check in and see how you're doing and let's just talk about how you feel about it. And I think now more than ever, uh, checking in with them about how they feel about their screen time is important because I can feel the difference. I mean, especially with a 14 year old boy, it's, their, it's just downright neurochemical and you see it and they feel it. And so, uh, every parent's going to do it differently, but for parents of, uh, um, Uh, those middle school and high school kids, uh, giving them the autonomy to learn how to set their own limits and self-regulate based upon how they feel, I think becomes really important. Um, Okay, those were all my notes.
6: I love what you just, I just want to say one quick thing. And and I love what Lori said about boredom. I'm a huge fan of boredom. Um, And I also know myself that I often have so much to do. I'm so behind. I'm actually really feeling a lot of gratitude for life slowing down a little bit, all my speaking being canceled and and having time to catch up. I know that there are times when I have so much I want to get done, including things like, oh, now I can organize my drawers. you know, that kind of stuff. I'm happy when my kids are distracted and doing things. And it's fine with me if they're bored and I can empathize with their boredom and say, figure it out. And I also know that I need to make a little bit of a sacrifice in that, which always brings me tons of joy too. In saying, okay, it's not just about managing my kids, but I may need to make some sacrifice in terms of time so that I am a little bit more have a little bit more agency in saying, okay, everyone's been on their screens now for a while, so t- let's play games. And I might give up some work time because we're, I'm going to teach my kids how to play speed scroll, or we're going to do something like that. And so I think. Part of it for me is a mindset of saying, I, I love the boredom piece, I love them problem solving and coming up with a schedule, and I might need to be a little bit more involved in orchestrating family time and activities, even though they're big and typically do that stuff on their own. And so I think that's just a mind shift, almost like I'm going back to having younger kids. Where I'm thinking more specifically about how can we spend time tonight that will be productive or connecting or fun or silly. My 16 um, year old has just set an alarm that goes. I'm so grateful for this webinar because he has an alarm that goes off every 20 minutes. And his rule is that everyone in the house has to do 10 push ups every time it goes off. So I'm getting a little bit of a break. My arms are <laughs> getting sore. So just having some silliness and some fun. Have your teenagers come up with some funny things.
1: This is all and wonderful. I Go ahead, Lori, go ahead. I was going to say, anyone else I, wants to jump in? Then we got to go to questions from our uh, listeners. So that's what's next.
5: Yeah, I was just going to say one of the things that I think is really important for them is um, sleep and exercise. Um, and, you know, how do we do that right now? So sleep is easy because, but but what I mean by sleep is having a regular sleep schedule, not like lying around during the day, you know, just just actually being active in a way that you can be active during the day and then uh, and then you go to bed at a normal time. It's not like, oh, well, actually I'm doing remote learning so I don't have to wake up. It, no, go to bed at your normal time. Wake up at your normal time, right? Um, and and try to kind of keep that schedule is really good for your emotional health. And the other thing is you can go outside like you can get some fresh air, right? If you're distanced from people. So if you can want to walk out and walk around the block, go walk around the block in a quiet area you know just don't get near people um, that's that's part of it you need exercise if you're not getting vitamin D because you're not getting outside give your kids some extra vitamin D they might need it um, and I think even one of the things that's been really nice is uh, my son who is 14 is doing remote learning and I said to him you know, I tried to keep the meals on a schedule like he would have at school. And I said, you know, do you want to have lunch? And he's like, I can't. And I said, why? And he said, well, I'm doing my history. And I said, but you've been doing that all morning. And he said, but I really want to knock this one out of the park. And I thought that was so beautiful because it was like, he didn't normally doesn't have the time to really put into something during the day in the way that he did. And so there was, you know, I think that there, there are some ways that, um, that we need, to, we need to acknowledge that there are ways that our kids are growing and stretching themselves, even if they're complaining.
1: Cool. All right, y'all. Let's turn. We've got some great questions that have come in. So um, I'm just going to uh, articulate the question and then don't feel obligated to respond, but somebody take the lead. And if others feel the need to add on, please do. So let's go to first question. Um, uh, So for Cara, who lives in Southern California, can you shed light on what the ETA is on testing in Southern California? Can we look forward to tests being available anytime soon?
4: The best and newest knowledge that I have is that uh, we should see in the next couple of days um, more tests becoming available. I know that UCLA has its own testing happening uh, at the campus, um, and I also know of a couple of commercial labs that are trying to get it up and running. You can get tests sent through Quest and LabCorp, um, I believe nationwide, certainly in Southern California, but those take uh, between 72 and 96 hours to get a result.
1: Okay, thank you for that. Um, uh, Let's go to this one. My son's college has gone online starting now until at least April 19th, but they're allowing slash encouraging students to stay and socially distance themselves there. I would like him to come home. Honestly, I'm surprised at this solution by the college. What are your thoughts? Keep students there or bring our students home?
4: You want me to take this from an infection standpoint? Um, and then people can chime in. I, um, the, uh, <laughs> no one knows. I mean, that's the bottom line is no one knows. I don't know if it's better in a home community versus at a college Campus. What we do know is if you're in a roommate situation, roommates pass things, just like large families, pass things much more efficiently. Viruses love crowds. So it's going to really depend upon everything in terms of a kid's setup. Do they go to a dining hall? Are they eating uh, food that, where they have to take a spoon that's held by other kids? Or are they being served food by someone who's helping them? All of the different logistics are going to impact the way viruses spread. I will say and I don't mean to be alarmist um but I do think it's a reality watching uh France close Italy close um I think it's a matter of days before we start seeing states close um I've been saying this for about 48 hours and I just it's based on gut and everything I'm listening to but I think if kids don't come home depending on where those states are relatively soon this question becomes a moot point because I think it's going to be very difficult to get home. Um, but I, it's not that I know any secret information that other people don't. It just seems to be the way things are moving.
2: I, uh, I would just, oh, go ahead, go ahead Laurie.
5: Yeah. Oh, I was just going to chime in and say that I, I think that what kids kids are, I think they believe that what they really need are their friends. But I think that what they really need is their families. And I think that, um, you know, being at home, first of all, just in terms of impulse control and responsibility at that age, I think it's uh, a lot easier to kind of, you know, have them uh, be less tempted to do things that might spread germs uh, if they're in the home environment. And I think it's more relaxing for them. I don't think that it, it feels the same being away at school when you're isolated, when you're not interacting with other people. At least at home, you can interact with your family. So I think that, that emotionally, um, and, and also just in terms of um, viral spread, um, being at home is 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 what, if my kid were at college, that's what I would do. I would have my kid come home.
6: My son's school is only uh, they extended spring break a week and then they said we're doing online for two weeks and then we'll see. Um, He lives in Texas. Um, His car is in Texas. Um, His books were in Texas. So he was here for spring break, flew home uh, last week or flew to Texas last week. And we've asked him to come back um, and and bring his truck back, like move home, because I can't imagine that schools are going to say now we're ready to do it before, you know, end of school in May. Um, And I will just say, I was in a fraternity house three weeks ago in Waco, Texas. We were visiting our son and they are disgusting and I don't trust them to sanitize, to wash hands. I don't think they even have a roll of toilet paper in their house. Like, what about supplies? Like, they're disgusting. I don't, my my son is awesome and he's a very responsible, trustworthy person. I don't trust him with social distancing. I don't trust him with sanitizing. I love him, but he's
2: disgusting and he needs to come home.
1: I get a, a little, I'm going to get a little emotional here. I can feel it. Um, and I think that's totally appropriate because these are unusual times and we are all winging it and trying to do the best uh, we can for our families, the people we love and ourselves. Um, I am somebody who has asthma and I've had pneumonia five times in my life. And so I know I'm at a greater risk and I really do not want to get this thing. And um, so that's me. My beloved elder child, so I've mentioned my 18-year-old who was you know, was supposed to be in France this week. We pulled the plug on that a week ago. She came here instead, and then her college said, wait, don't come back from spring break. But my 20-year-old is in Portland, Oregon, and he's taking a year off school right now, uh, which we thought was a great idea, live and work in Portland. He's in a house with five other people his age. So he's not tethered to an institution right now. Um... He's sort of out there in the world and I'm trying to figure out whether to call him home now, as Cara said, I may only have 48 hours to even have the luxury of making a decision rather than the state of Oregon, the state of California, making it for me. I'm trying to figure out whether to call him home or have him stay where he is. I tell you what, if he comes home, I'm worried about what he's got, right? I'm going to have to practice that distancing in my house, even more so with this kid who's been in an environment like you're kind of describing, Tina, the frat house in Texas kind of looks, sounds a lot like my kid's house in Portland. And so I don't know if I can have my kid come home because I don't think I can have the appropriate distance from him. Um, So love your thoughts there. Anyone?
2: Well, I, I, I'm with you, Julie. It's, it's really scary. You know, our 26 year old is um, living on her own and she's um, working from home, but she's in an apartment building. So she walks through the elevators. She walks through the lobby. It's very different than our house here in the suburbs. Um, and I will just share with you what we're doing with my dad. Uh, my parents live in our basement and my dad has a tendency to get respiratory infections. So we are, he's here. We're in the same home are <laughs> we have a morning meeting at 930 all seven of us, uh, you know, by and he joins by phone because he doesn't want to catch whatever my kids and I have gotten in the last, 14 days or whatever the incubation period is. And he's just not going to interact with us until that incubation period has passed. So that might be something that could work for you and your son. If you do bring him home and just say, I will give you the first hug 14 days after you get here. You know, I don't know what your house setup is like, but if you can have him use a different bedroom and a different bathroom, at least for the you know first first week or first two weeks, that might give you some more comfort.
4: So that's the medical advice as well, which is essentially quarantine within a house. Um, you know, we, we don't know who, who is more likely to be infected, uh, the, the kid who's coming home or the family who's here. Um, so it's mutually beneficial. Um, the, for the child who's coming home, um, they should have their own space to sleep. Ideally, it's not perfect in every house. Um, their own bathroom. Ideally, it's not perfect in every house. They shouldn't be locked away. They should be able to come out and go outside and get some fresh air and vitamin D and all those things that Lori, Lori was referring to, which are so important in terms of mental health. Um, but, you know, Julie, I think what you're articulating is very, very common right now. That uh, That is by far the most common uh, concern I've heard from parents of kids in their 20s. Um, and the only advice I can give you is to share with him exactly what you've shared here, what your medical concerns are and what your logistical concerns are, and have the conversation really openly and offer up your home as a place that he can come and a place where he can, you know, as Tina said, uh, where, where he can be safer and, and healthier. And so um, you know, some parents are going to just make the call and bring their kids back. I don't know how that's going to go in those families. Um, but for the most part, if we can help our kids, cause then you have to ask them to isolate within a home. So I, I think it, right. it comes a conversation
1: or I've got to isolate and that's, what's bringing tears to my eyes. The safest thing, given that I'm the one that's that the higher risk, maybe I just need to do that. And the thought of being in my bedroom for, you know, it, but maybe that's the thing. Um, cause right now I'm doing my daily. I've got my Clorox, you know, and I'm doing the light switches and the doorknobs and the surfaces of the house once a day. I check it off like I'm part of a cleaning surface at an, at an airport. It's giving me comfort, a sense of control, like I'm, you know, taking care of things once a day. And in addition, everyone's washing their hands, you know. Um, and I'm realizing um, it would be easier for the rest of my family, who are probably going to get the virus and be fine, to go about doing what they're doing within the house. But maybe I'm the one that needs to remove myself and i'm the i'm the one who usually makes the money to keep this place running right the thought of uh you know my entire life just sort of being reduced to a bedroom is um of course i'm not making any money right now anyway because all my events are canceled but i think that's the emotional piece i'm weighing right now and I, I appreciate the guidance let's do this we've got 15 more 17 more minutes and questions that are here and i want to get to them so let's go to this um What advice do you have for parents who do not agree on the limits that should be set? For example, dad feels that this is overblown and that the teens should still be allowed to hang out with friends individually and or in small groups.
0: I have a thought on that. That's a tricky one. But
2: those of you
6: who do any kind of parent consults or car, you've seen this medically too, I'm sure. Um, It's more rare to have parents who are on the same page than have parents who are not on the same page, right? And so, you know, this comes up all the time, no matter what the topic is. And I think um, a couple of really practical solutions. One is, you know, I remember one time my husband and I were fighting over how we should handle our son getting a car. Right? We had asked him to save money. We said we would match it. But then I was wanting to go above that for some safety features. And we were arguing back and forth. We were just totally both not moving at all. And my husband, who's a wonderful human being, said, like he paused and he was able to tune into the fear that was underlying why I was so rigid in my position, which was I wanted him to have safety features on a car because I was worried about him being safe driving it was our first kid driving and once I could get clear on that and he could get clear on that then I was like what what are your fears about not spending the extra money what's that about for you and he could talk about how he was worried that we had told our son we this is what we were doing and then he would just assume we would throw more money and you know worries about kind of entitlement and and those kinds of things and once we could really get clear about what our fears were the conversation allowed us to be much more open and receptive to each other and to find a common ground. So one thing you can do is that if you like find a couple of good articles that Cara recommended um, that have the facts, ask your husband or your partner who if whoever is kind of you know, feeling the, the limit setting is overblown, ask them to find a thing or two for you to read, for you to both read something that feel like is kind of w- reflective of where you're feeling and have a conversation about it. Because ultimately, you do, if you are going to have a household that's going to set limits, you do need to necess- not necessarily be on the exact same page, but you need to be at least in the same chapter, right? So I would say, openly, think about your fears, connect, really listen to each other, and you have to find a path um, to get on the same page, or there's gonna, this is going to be a miserable time. <laughs> so really inform yourself, but, but let, be open to
2: listening to the other person as well.
5: I would, I would say on that too, that a lot of times these conversations are not so much about the content, but they're about what is really beneath that, like Dina was saying. And so, um, you know, a lot of people are experiencing their anxiety and not really talking about it. So one parent's anxiety might come out well, what do you mean X, Y, or Z? And the other parent says, well, I think, you know, but you're not, that's not what it's really about. It's about that people are really, really anxious and understandably so. And so I think that sometimes a lot of people in just in trying to, like, make sure that things are running smoothly, they're not talking to each other about what they're actually feeling and how they're actually processing the news of the day. And I think that, that it would be really good for partners to make sure that they're having those conversations with each other. How are you feeling? What's going on for you? What, what has today been like for you? Just to take five minutes at the end of the day or the beginning of the day and say, you know, how are you doing? Those conversations about content will go a lot more smoothly.
1: Awesome. I want to pull Debbie Reber in here. She's the author of uh, uh, Differently Wired and uh, Tilt Parenting Podcast. She's focusing her expertise around kids who are wired differently. And I just want to ask you to jump in. She's our producer of this Zoomcast thing, but I know she's got a lot of thoughts as well. Debbie, please chime in here.
3: Thanks, Julie. Yeah, I just wanted to pop in for a minute, because what I'm hearing from my community is that these are kids often who really need routine and structure. And suddenly, their kids are home, many of them, and they don't, they're really suffering, their parents are really suffering, not, not knowing how to navigate this. And so just a couple of reminders to one, you know, these kids, because they like routine, like, If you haven't done so already, schedule a family meeting and look at this as a very collaborative thing that you're creating together. How can we design the best um, home environment for us where our needs are met and check in on that regularly, like be willing to pivot and adapt, but have it be collaborative and just be really aware as all kids are, but these kids can be even more highly attuned and they can feel our anxiety. You know, I always say they can read a room better than a seasoned politician. So just kind of watch your energy in the way that you're talking with them. And, and they're just really tuned in and they pick up on that. And then I just want to emphasize, this is for everybody, just really think about your own self-care right now too. Like that to me is so important that we do the work we need to do and take the time we need when we need to step away go read a book, watch a show on Netflix, whatever we need to do, but to be t- taking care of ourselves and prioritize ourselves because we, we could be in this for a while. So just wanted to share that.
1: Thanks Debbie. Let's get to the last couple of questions here. Um, Jennifer has asked any chance one of you could write something directly addressed to teens. My daughters are more likely to listen to experts like you than to me. Thanks in advance. She says, Anybody working on a piece? I think Lori said she's got a piece coming out in the Atlantic any day now. Chime in here with what's either about to be published, already published, or you're going to go home and write right now. Right now.
5: Um, yeah, so I have a piece coming out in the Atlantic about how we can all, um, you know, manage our anxiety. And I'm also going to be talking specifically on a podcast on the Atlantic about how we can uh, help our teens. And uh, that should come out this week. I'm not sure when.
1: Okay. So that's Lori Gottlieb, everybody. Find her on Facebook. Find her on her website. She's on Twitter, Lori, L-O-R-I Gottlieb, G-O-T-T-L-I-E-B. She's got an amazing article coming out any minute now, which is could not be more timely. I'm so glad you've done that. Um, anybody else r- writing something or has immediately in the... Yeah
6: not personally uh, at this point, but I will say I'm a big fan of Christine Carter, who has a new book out called The New Adolescence. And this, you know, obviously the book came out in early February, she wasn't thinking about the coronavirus. But the book is really aimed at how do we parent adolescents and adolescents meaning pre pre preteen tweens, all the way up to young adults through college. And she's got some great stuff in that book about contracts and scheduling and coming up with limit setting that's collaborative and um and how to think of ourselves more as coaches than managers instead of telling them what to do to say like i think the example she gave was instead of saying go to bed it's late to say something like um gosh i'm noticing how late it is what's your plan for getting a good night's sleep tonight and so anyway she's just that's just a great resource she's probably doing lots of interviews and all that because it came out she's probably been on lots of podcasts so she's a great resource as well
1: Awesome. You know, I was starting to write something, and it was uh, expressing a lot of empathy for these young people who are coming back into our homes. I often talk about, you know, as they've left our homes, let's prepare for the fact that our relationship with them changes. They're still our child, but now they're 18, 19, 20, 22. They're off in the workplace, or off at college, and we have to respect the fact that they are becoming adult. That's a moving target terminology-wise, but they are not small children anymore. And how excruciating it must be for them to return our homes and be made to feel like a child who is not given agency or autonomy, right? So we have to respect that they're, if they're in this older set and an age and stage where um, we don't just dictate, right? We need to empathize with their situation and bring them um, into this dialogue about the consequences and what's right for the world and what's right, uh, what's the right thing to do, and and respect that they are adults in the making, even if not fully formed as we are yet. Let me go to another question here. The class of 2020 and high school class of 2020 is very much on people's minds. A couple of questions here relate to them, try to integrate them. Do you all have advice for parents of high school seniors who are going to be hearing from colleges any minute now about whether they got in or... Uh, did not. They don't have the benefit, many of them, of being at their high school where they could process that with each other and with the resources there. So we need advice for parents of folks about to hear, but also more hear about college admission. More broadly, for the same set, any tips on dealing with their emotions, looking at the canceling of AP tests, senior prom or ball, graduations, shows, uh, all while trying to choose a college by May one. Ah, uh, laid off from work, while which they were counting on the finances for in order to help pay for college, all while being distanced from their peers. My god, this brings brings me to tears thinking about these kids. Yeah, so who's got some thoughts there?
2: Um, I'm happy to jump in. Um, and, yeah, I think the, what Tina said earlier about starting with empathy, right, starting with that connection, you know, really leaning into the reflective listening around, Yeah, you were counting on this. This is your whole world. And then when they're ready, I think moving into problem solving and action because whenever we're faced with something that's really hard, or if we're feeling depressed or we're moving into a difficult stage, when we find a way to contribute, when we find a way to create something new, um, you know, whether that's um, helping in our family, helping in our small community, you know, we can't necessarily help in our neighbors' houses, but my kids are, you know, checking on their lawns or checking on the outside of their homes and finding ways to, through a Google form, try to create community and, and make sure that everyone is okay. And I could see, you know, seniors coming up with lots of creative online ways to celebrate, to um, create new things. I, we're hearing about people having quarantini parties, which of course is not for our children but it's a way to continue those connections even when we can't physically be near. Um, and, and then really just acknowledging, yeah, this is really hard. Are there ways, here are ways I've heard of people, um, you know, raising money to help all of the um, workers at events that have now been canceled who, you know, we relying on the, that food um, or the that money for their food or donating to food banks in Austin where South by Southwest was canceled. So I think when our kids are ready to move from that depression stage into action, that can be something that we really support and help facilitate.
6: One thing I would say too, is just that, you know, if we just try to paint a rosy picture, like, well, maybe you guys can do it again, or maybe you can, and you jump into that, they're not going to feel seen and heard. I think just being authentic and say this sucks this is so disappointing this is so sad you can cry with them Um, and then you know I think just we have to remember as parents I have a kid who has a chronic health uh, severe pain disorder and there are so many times as parents that we truly cannot fix something and not that we should all the time either you know and I think we have to remember that the difference between tolerable stress and toxic stress, the difference between trauma and and um, post and 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 you know being resilient, is that it's not about us fixing it or stopping it or whatever. But it, our job is to walk with them through it. And I think you know one of the other things we know from the science is that one of the things that helps us not feel depressed, not feel anxious, not feel stuck. Is to also not just not just to focus on our kids and their experience, but we can also focus on. This is an incredible opportunity as parents to help our kids think about other people. And so, this is not to minimize how horribly disappointing and devastating the loss and honestly, even grieving of of those lost experiences would be. You know, th- that's a real thing. So we don't want to minimize that, but. Uh, and we don't want to distract them, but I also think to talk about how you know, talk about the you know, thirty million children who get um, who get school lunches every day, who may be hungry, and how people are mobilized to try and do that, and to think about our the gift and the responsibility that we belong to each other, and that they're not alone in the loss of these experiences, and that. That when we are together, that's what it's all about anyway.
5: I was just, I, and I, I, I really agree with, with that. I think that that broader view helps. And I also though, want to make sure that we don't, um, you know, I think outside of, of coronavirus, a lot of times, like your kid, they break up with a boyfriend or girlfriend. And we know as adults that this will pass, Right but they don't because it it's de- devastating to them, right? So their prom got canceled, their senior activities got canceled. You know, they can't, they'll never get that back. So, um, you know, in the scheme of the world, is it a tragedy? No, but it's something that there's quite a loss for them. And I think that we have to be careful not to minimize that for them, that, that, that at the same time that I, I agree with you, Tina, we have to give them this broader view of the world. I think we also can help them to sit with their grief that we don't have to take it away from them. We don't have to take away their sadness, that they're going to have to feel something uncomfortable and they can do hard things. They can do that. They can sit through that and they will feel so much more resilient having been able to really feel the depth of their pain and then come out the other side rather than try to say to them, you know, look at all these other people who are suffering. Um, I think both, both are helpful for them.
1: All right, we have one last question for you. Should we expect that graduations might be canceled? Is this going to get significantly worse? Is getting back to normal a long way off? I have my own thoughts about the answer to that question, but I'd rather them come from you.
4: Well, um, I would say the, the best answer is we don't know, but the better answer is if everyone starts socially distancing right now. And everyone does where what we started talking about in the beginning. And we've, I think, tried it from every perspective to give people tools to do it. If everyone takes it seriously, if everyone just gets in line and sucks it up, um, I think it's going to be a lot shorter. We know if you listen to The Daily did a great podcast last Thursday talking about why In China and South Korea, things turned around. Listen to that podcast. It had everything to do with essentially socially distancing. In China, it was quarantining and it was authoritarian. In South Korea, it looked different. This is our version. We all have to do it. And then I think our kids stand a chance of sitting in those graduation seats. Otherwise, Julie, I don't know.
1: Okay, folks, I'm going to try to sum this up because we are a minute away from when we thought we would end. We know that there are democratic debates happening for those who are watching live. They're happening in 15 minutes, and that is an important conversation to be paying attention to as well. I'm going to try to sum up. I was wildly taking notes, paying attention, um, and then I'll give each one of you the opportunity just for a moment. If you, like the one thing you're feeling you still need to say in order to feel complete uh, in this moment, let's offer that. Um, here's what I'm hearing and what I'm taking into my heart and my head and also wanting to share with everyone I care about. Um, First of all, we've had an all-star team of experts here, which is just phenomenal. Maybe we'll do this again because I think um, there should be 10,000 people listening to this right now, and I'm just grateful to all of you for being here. Um, If everyone takes it seriously and gets in line and sucks it up, this whole thing will be over sooner. It is to our tremendous benefit collectively, for us all to pay attention and and get this over sooner. That came through loud and clear. Next, walk through this with your kid, whatever their age, whether they're tiny or they're almost grown or somewhere in between, we need to walk with them through it. It was a piece of wisdom that came out. Number three, social distancing or, or isolation or whatever you want to call it, Is required right now. It is what we are being asked to do. And every time you make an exception, you are making an exception that can harm either yourself, someone you love, or some stranger out there. So those kinds of exceptions should not be happening. This is a social justice matter. Um, And to uh, the point of... Us all having been super busy and stressed out of our minds as recently as a week ago, now is the time to be at home and do all of those things we'd never thought we had any, we until recently never had any time to do. Now you have the time. The next point, empathy. We've got to empathize with our kids. They are grieving, particularly the older ones. We have to help them sit with their grief. We have to pour out the empathy. We have to be checking in with them Um, and then we've got to do some problem solving with them, um, help them see that they are being asked right now to do something that is good for others. Um, we belong to each other. One of you said doing something for the good of their community, doing something for the good of the elders in their community and the people who are sick in their community. This is a chance to rise up and, uh, do something that is right for the human population. Um, um, we are leaders. Let's not forget that we are the parents and let's not shirk from that duty. We need problem solving and action, how we handle it, how we role model it. Uh, the language we're using is essential. Um, let's not be wishy-washy. I've been, I've been wishy-washy cause I've been like, well, you know, if we make this right, no, Julie, stop being wishy-washy. Summon the wisdom of all these experts and hold that constantly and hold the line, be the leader, boredom, Of our kids is okay, something they can learn new every day guitar, art supplies, they can go research a topic and give a salon at dinner tomorrow night with the family. Um, It's okay to shift uh, our limitations on screen time. Screens are now safer, right? Because the coronavirus is out there. That's what we're trying to protect them from. Um, And finally, I'm going to say hold your boundaries, parents, don't be ashamed to stand up to what for what you know is right when other parents are trying to drag you down or do something crazy. Stand up, kind of know where your line is and hold it and articulate it. Don't be wishy-washy. Let our kids see that we are standing by uh, the practices we preach. Um, don't be afraid to stand up to other parents. In fact, lead, be a leader in your community. Be a leader in your friend group, in your work group, in your crowd, your posse, your your fam, your your tribe, whatever you call it. People are looking for leadership and we can each be those leaders. All right, I'm done. I'm going to turn it over to each one of you to just wrap with whatever you you need to say and then we'll close this thing out and go watch the debates.
4: I'll start. Uh, they do as we do, not as we say. So stay home and wash your hands.
5: Who's up next? <laughs> Sounds like Go ahead, Lori. Story. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> you can tell how technologically savvy I am. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say that it's, it's uh, you know, everything that we said here, I think there was so much information, but I think the most important thing is that we are with the people that we love in our homes. And we need to remember that we need to, we have a responsibility to each other and we have a responsibility to ourselves to take care of ourselves as well. And in every choice and every decision that we make, I think that we need to keep those two things in the back of our minds. Last thing for me is uh, the idea of showing up for each other.
6: You know, that's, that's always the North star for me. Help our kids feel safe, seen, soothed and secure. And we need people to do that for us too. You matter too, parents. Um, And I think the way we, are with our children matters much more than what we do with our children. and I think you know we really have um, an opportunity here for some really great things in the midst of all this chaos and, and really the way they, they real, they'll mirror us and I think the kids who are having a lot of anxiety and chaos internally, um, some of that is coming from their parents and I think that you know if you say to your kids there's a lot we don't know, but here's what we do know. and here are the action steps we can take that safety is first in terms of the, the medical stuff, but also just emotionally letting your kids know you've got this, you've got, you're going to keep them safe and keep yourself safe too. Just all of that is so
2: important. So I don't see how I can sum up better than all of you. Uh, so I'll just see where I can fill in some holes. So language, I know parents are always looking for, okay, what are the words? And what I've said to my kids is, yeah, I know it seems unfair. I, 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 I realize all your friends are on social media doing things at the mall. And I know I am the meanest mom. And it really sucks that you have the meanest mom. And sometimes just that acknowledging can really help. Um, and then enlisting their help. So we do do this morning planning meeting. It's just 10 or 15 minutes. What's our day going to look like? We try to plan a walk outdoors. You know, having... Our kids enlisted in health. Um, my daughter wants to set up a gym in the sunroom so that we can get some exercise. And they have their ideas for you know projects they want to do um, that are sometimes creative. And um, and I'll just end with really just I think what everyone has said that that we are the leaders of our families, and so we need to take care of ourselves, our 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 sleep, our exercise, our self care, our own sense of well being, and um and that sometimes that does mean turning away from the news, blocking the friends who are doing things that are not um, what you want to do with your family and and tuning in to the people who are supporting the way that you want to lead right now. So for me, that's this group. And I'm just really grateful to to be here to share this time with you guys.
3: And I'll just add um, one last thing is just check in with your communities. Like this is such a wonderful group, but we're all on Facebook groups. You know, I've got my Different groups here and there. So if I really need to vent or get support in the moment I'm having a bad day, I need resources. Just kind of tap into the communities that we have, because um, as Kaki said, it's taking care of ourselves. And Tina said this too. Like it's so important that we really tend to our own well being right now, so we can show up as as best as we can for our kids. So tap into the communities we've got.
2: And I thought of one other thing. I just wanted to add. I'm sorry, I got distracted by someone walking in the room. So um, if you're watching this and you are a parent who is a medical worker on the front lines or you can't take off from your job because you can't afford to or you're doing the best you can to be safe, as safe as you can, I would say, you know, please don't feel shame or judge or anything because we're all just doing the best we can within the confines of our own circumstances and, and find ways to be safer if you can't completely
1: um, isolate or, or self-quarantine. All right, everybody. Thanks for that. We've been listening to Dr. Cara Natterson, Dr. Lori Gottlieb, Dr. Teen Payne, Tina, Payne, Dr. Tina Payne Bryson, Katherine Reynolds-Lewis, and Debbie Reber. And I'm Julie Lifcott-Hames. We hope this has been helpful. We may do something like this again. I'm astounded by the quality of information you all have shared. I know we'll all share this to our networks and so on. We've taped it. The notes are recorded. I don't quite understand how any of this works, but I'm confident we'll be able to disseminate this as we continue our collective effort to stay well, stay healthy, and um, be the type of people we want to be, the leaders, the parents, the humans we want to be in our community as we're going through a really unprecedented challenge. So here's to all of you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to our listeners for giving us your time. And let's all uh, stand up for what we know is right, which is social distancing in this era of coronavirus. It's hard, but it's necessary, and we can do it. Thank you so much.
0: Hey, it's me again. So no music to close out this episode, but I did create a show notes page for this episode where I will share some of the resources that we pulled together after this call. So you can find those at tiltparenting.com slash podcast. And then again, tomorrow we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss anything. And thanks so much for listening. I am just sending a whole lot of love out to you and your family. Bye for now.
8: Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles.